welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leela McRae. Well, welcome into another episode of the Yak Sports Podcast. And uh, Joe Deck is with me, like always, but I uh, wanted to kick this podcast off talking about the loss of Coach Ron Ball, which has a lot of people in our area hurting, and uh, it has me hurting uh, as a uh, friend of the family. And he passed away on Wednesday at home, and uh, he was 75. But the thing about Ron is that he was an absolute legend. And to be honest, I got to know Ron after the time he had already ascended to legendary status. He had already coached um, pretty much all his football games as head coach and and already obviously had played. So I knew more of Ron as the family man and uh, – you know, more than anything else, the, the dad to Wendy and Brian and the, and the husband to Bonnie. And um, I know a lot of people in the area know that family well. And, and I was, I'm lucky enough to be close with that family and um, because of my connection with Wendy. And, uh, you know, that's, that started uh, with uh, our moms <laughs> being friends when, when they were each pregnant with us. And so uh, we joke around about, you know, being friends in the womb. Uh, but really, growing up, our, our families knew each other, but we weren't around each other a lot. There was some Girl Scout, Scout connections. Um, but when I really got close to Wendy uh, was when, you know, my best friend started dating her in, uh, early in high school. And, and then, you know, just because that's, that's how high school boys work, you know, wherever Steve, who, who's been on this podcast, wherever he went, I went. So I wound up at Wendy's house a lot and, and hanging out with her family and, and going to games with her family and, and stuff like that. So uh it, it was awesome to get to know their family and, and get to know Ron at that stage of his career in life and where, you know, as much as family was always a priority for Ron, um, this was the time where, you know, less, less distractions from that. And so he was at home on Sunday nights and not necessarily watching film uh, for the next week. And uh, it was, it was a great time to enjoy who Ron was and, and, and hear about his life. So, you know, to know Wendy and to know how she idolized her dad, you can only see that and and do the same. And that's because Ron deserved to be idolized. He he was just a great dad, a great husband. I, I knew at a young age before I ever had a family, I wanted to be that kind of dad. I wanted to be that kind of man that, that had that impact on his family, that deserved that kind of love and, and gave it right back to him. And, uh, you know, that also helped that his priorities were things that I at that time prioritized, but also knew how I wanted to be. And that was, you know, the fact that he loved three things, very obviously. He loved his family, you know, supporting them in every which way, um, seeing how his family loved him told the story of Ron Ball. I, I really think you can see that in that connection with that family, that how much they loved him you know, how much he deserved that because, because he had been there for, for everything growing up for him and, 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 and worked that football coach family life balance to perfection and, and really drove that home. Um, he loved football. You know, you couldn't be around Ron without hearing stories about football. Um, and he was, he was successful at coaching football. He was successful at playing football. He's a high school player at Chilawi, went on to play at Virginia tech you know, he was successful at that. And then he went on to be a great coach and, and do a lot of the great things locally, but not that success really 
matters there. It's the, it's the impact that you have as a high school football coach in our area. And I think that's something that I've grown to understand better in recent years of how much that impact means. Maybe when I was playing, I recognized it to a degree, but I think as you grow older, you realize what those coaches had impact on me and how they had impact on other players. Knowing he did that for other people was great. And then he loved the Hokies. And, and at certain moments you might confuse yourself and think that love might, might trump all the other things that, that he was a Hokie fan above all. But that was only in the, in those great Hokie moments where it's either really great to be a Hokie fan or really bad to be a Hokie fan. But the passion he brought to his fandom I loved it, and and it. I think it made me a better Hokie fan seeing that example, seeing this guy that had so many things that I wanted in my life in the future, um, how he was able to balance that all and still be that aggressive of a Hokie fan. It, it's just something something to idolize as well. So, you know, I, and and like I said, I I got to know him at family dinners on Sunday evenings at their house. You know, I wasn't on the football field. Um, it might have been around a football game. I'd been watching one on TV. It might have been a bowl game where I'm over at their house watching. It might be in the stands at Virginia Tech when I was, you know, lucky enough to grab one of their extra tickets and sit right next to Ron Ball and, and watch the Hokies beat Nebraska. You know, that that kind of situation. I, I got to know them in those kind of settings and uh, from, from high school on. And, you know, sitting in the stands was, with him was the best. You know, even if it was for a half because he couldn't take – close games and he'd leave the stands and go down to the corner of the end zone corner of the stadium where he could still see the game, but where he could stand there, like, like he did on the sidelines as a coach. I, I always thought that was the funniest thing, how he'd get so worked up. But as my fandom grew, I, I understood it more, but I, it was always, I think more fun. What I always remember more is sitting at his house and listen to his stories. Cause he was such a great storyteller. He could tell the best, stories about playing football coaching football and i don't there's so so many i can remember i'm not going to recite them all um but it was just i as a lot of stories a lot of people know and because i know he told them to other people too it wasn't only at the dinner table he would tell those i know he'd tell them all the time but also sitting there he'd, he'd brag on his family and ask you how your family was doing and and you just got the full priority list from Ron Ball, you know, in that situation. And I absolutely spoiled, honored to have had that experience with him. Um, and, you know, talking about, you know, his, his experience in football, he graduated from Chihuahua High School where he played football, went to Virginia Tech to play where his dad had graduated from. He played there. Um, you know, it's, it kind of shows the kind of Hokie fan he was where, you know, he gets a master's degree from UVA in education, a great degree to have. And he'll tell you he has a master's degree, but he might leave off the where he got it from. Like, he might not uh, really mention the UVA side of that very much. And that, that just shows what kind of hook he was. And, and then after his football playing career, uh, which I, I believe was cut short with injury, he went on to be an assistant at Marion. He was a head coach at Chilhowee. He was the head coach at Chilhowee the first time Riverheads and Chilhowee met. It was that you know, cold ice bowl kind of game, that legendary game that anybody that was around for that at that time still talks about. I think Patrick Hyde had an article on it. I'll, I'll maybe post that uh, behind this episode. Um, but it's one of those legendary games that starts tying in some of the Ron Ball to local school story here. He went on to Natural Bridge, and then he comes to our area, to Stewart's Draft. He coaches there from 80 to 87 and really makes a name for himself in the local coaching. 
like I said, winning doesn't isn't the whole story for Ron Ball, but he has some winning. He has a whole lot of winning. He took Stuart Straff to three playoff appearances. In those three appearances, they ended up winning their first playoff game in school history. So he he's on the Mount Rushmore of of Stuart Straff football. He's in the Hall of Fame at Stuart Straff. Um, he goes on to be a D at Stewart's draft and then Stanton or, and I, I might mess up that order there, but I know he's an AD at both those places, but then he gets back to coaching at Wilson right after they post that job. He wants to get back to coaching. He does that. Uh, he co- he coaches them to their first playoff appearance in like 30 years when he, when he gets there. And so, um, or maybe 20 years, 20 years, they hadn't been since 78 and they go back in 96. He wins state coach of the year honors for group a by doing that. And, uh, you know, an example of somebody that he impacted there at that time. And this is just one of many, uh, is Jeremiah major, you know, that's somebody we talk about all the time. He's used to coach at Wilson. He, uh, was AD at Waynesboro most recently. Now he's going to Stewart's draft. He's, you know, he's has a big impact on this area. He's in that Ron ball kind of tree of impact there. And he has great stories. I saw in Patrick Heights article where, um, Jeremiah was talking about Ron Ball leaving him messages and, and notes and, and words of encouragement. And, and I just always, that, that's just a great example of who he was. And I, you know, Jeremiah wasn't the only one he did that kind of stuff for. So that that's the impact of Ron Ball that, you know, I, I came in after I came in on, on the late side for, and I heard about and heard about stories and his players and, and, um, just the impact he had. And then, you know, some of the time I liked he had the most was at Fort Defiance where, he was retired from the classroom. He, he wasn't in the school anymore, but they they situated there at Fort Defiance with with what Ron was going through, which was was Alzheimer's setting in. They were they got him on the sidelines. And to hear those coaches talk about what, how he was able to do that at Fort Defiance under Dan Rolfe, you know, he, he might he might mix up some words here and there with his his normal life or where he needs to get to when he needs to get to. But when he got on that football field, it was back to coach ball and, and he was coaching them up the same way as ever knew. It was just a natural coach ball coming out of him. And I, I just loved hearing those, hearing him being able to do that at that stage, knowing what else was going on in his life. And um, also he was able to serve on the VT alumni board for seven years. He was nominated that by coach Frank Beamer. And uh, that's, you know, the George Washington of Virginia tech, uh, sports like the end all be all for Virginia tech sports, they're friends. And then, you know, people sometimes hear, you know, Ron talk about coach Beamer and, and he doesn't, he doesn't brag about it or something, you know, it's, it's a friend and, and, and it's just normal, but the rest of us idolize Frank Beamer. And so you, so you wonder, so there, my, my personal story, I got two of these. Um, I'm in the stands at Virginia tech I think they're about to play Rutgers. Their friends weren't coming to that game. So I got their friends tickets through the balls. And before the game, I'm, you know, Mr. Be in my seat way before the game, be in the proper seat. Great seats on the visiting side. But, you know, it's all Hokies over there. And second row up right behind the pitch. Great seats. We're down there. The balls are over talking to us. Ron and Bonnie are over there talking to us. And uh, all of a sudden, Frank Beamer standing on the sideline real, real close to us, kind of watching his players warm up and, you know, I had always heard that he knew Coach Beamer. I think they were sweet mates in college and stuff like that, but I didn't really know to what extent. And so uh, Ron kind of calls out, like, hey, Frank, Frank, and there's just no reaction. And I, it's just in my head. It wasn't like, oh, he doesn't know him. It's just, you know, Frank's busy. Well, Ron kind of stepped in. I was like, Frank, and let out that bigger yell that uh, any 
that head coaches have. Coach Beamer turned around, did a double take, looked, and then looked again and got excited to see him and waved his arm up and was like, hey, Ron, and just hollering over into the stands at us. And that, I just, you know, I already said I idolized him. If I didn't already idolize him, that that set it off right there, that he, that he was that close with Frank Beamer to have that kind of reaction. Uh, a similar story when he was at Fort Defiance as an assistant coach. I think one of the younger coaches there didn't really – Maybe maybe what I was referencing in my story, just didn't understand how close he was with Frank Beamer or something like that. And so uh, they're kind of doubting him, and, and Ron's just like, okay, I'll call him. So he calls him. Frank doesn't answer, and he leaves him a voicemail. And, you know, I think the, the coach kind of, you know, as a younger coach, he just kind of thought, oh, okay, yeah, he's, he, you know, I was right. He was kind of overstating it. Well, Coach Beamer calls back while they're in middle of a meeting. Ron answers it talks to him a minute, then puts it on speakerphone. And there's Frank Beamer saying to the whole room, hey, hey guys, I love what you're doing there at Fort Defiance, helping these kids, you know, good luck in the season. It was August. It was two-a-day time. Like, he, he knew what was going on. He, he just gave that, like, good luck thing. And that, that young coach didn't doubt that for many more. So it just shows you, you know, how, how who, who Ron knew, who respected him because of who he was, and, uh, and that he didn't have to – you know, flout that or anything. He didn't have to tell anybody. He just, you know, acted like it was normal. And for him, it was. And that's because he was such a great football coach who had been through it all and been everywhere. And I just always loved those stories. The one I was part of, the other one I had heard secondhand. But he's just just a great man overall. But, you know, so locally, head coach of Stewart Straff, first ever playoff win, Stewart Straff Hall of Fame. Wilson, first playoff season in nearly um, 20 years when they did that. Uh, he was AD at Stanton and Lee High School, um, and just part of his family's massive impact on, um, especially the Fort Defiance community, uh, where Bonnie has is in the Hall of Fame there, and and such a huge impact there, and um, the whole family being such a big part of that. But you know, as many of us know him, as I know him from the dinner table, and anybody from the football field would know that that family is what he's the most proud of. He's the most proud of the impact act that he's made with uh with his son brian his daughter wendy and his wife bonnie um and, and and his grandkids you know and it's his family that he cares about the most and that's what he put above all else so while i can sit here and say where he was head coach for and the the you know playoff games that he won and what all he did locally and and, and all around the state and in high school football he's most proud of his family and and i'm just absolutely blessed to have got to know him kind of in that arena and uh and I know everybody that got to meet him wherever wherever they were able to meet him. Uh, I know they they loved him and they're hurting right now, just like I am. Um, but we wish him well and in uh, his family well. And uh, it's a tough time, but a lot of great memories are, are getting talked about this week. And uh, going through the the family night there at at the funeral home, they had his Letterman's jacket from Virginia Tech and a lot of cool memorabilia. And his basement, it's like a it's like a football museum down there with high school football and college football. So uh, I'm going to miss him. And uh, I didn't really know how to say all this, uh, you know, before planning this episode. And even as this episode's getting started, I didn't know how I was going to say all this. But uh, I'm going to miss him. And I, and I feel for his family. And um, I'll be there to support him and uh, try to make him proud and try to live up to the legend status that he was with family and football and, and everything that we shared the common interest. I, I'm going to try to be like Ron best I can in his honor and, uh, 
Grabação. So, Joe, on the on the rest of the outlook on the sports that matter to the Augusta County sports fan, you wrapped up a season with the Valley Baseball season there for the Stanton Braves, and I know the the season continues for the postseason, but the Stanton Braves are going to have to move on and how how to wrap up for the Braves there. Yeah. Um not great. <laughs> they they ended up winning the last game of the year against Covington in a game that really didn't uh well, it didn't matter. Um the the outcome of that game didn't change anything. Uh Stanton knew they weren't going to the playoffs before that game started. Covington knew they were the 4 seed no matter whether they won or won or lost. So it was kind of a just-for-fun game, and, and it was treated as such. You had uh, Stanton uh, had a pitcher in the DH spot because they didn't have enough position players in town to have a, a DH there. Um, some of the players were coaches for the game. Um, the infield between third, short, second, and first all rotated spots every half inning. Um wow. Throughout the, throughout the game, the first baseman would go over to third, and then everyone else would just shift one over to the left. Um, wow. So, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, interesting. Um, but it, it did set up kind of a cool thing where uh, Marty Neal uh, got a walk. He was the pitcher, uh, a pitcher out of the bullpen, came in in the eighth inning, got a walk, ended up scoring what would be the winning run. And then in the ninth inning, got a hit when he came back up and then uh, was able to record the save. So he scored the winning run and got the save, which is something that is almost unheard of in baseball. Um, But that was kind of cool. And then uh, in terms of the rest of the Valley League, you're looking at uh, Charlottesville, which will have at least a share of the South Division uh, Championship as I think Harrisonburg and Waynesboro are playing each other as we speak. Um, They are. Waynesboro, uh, if they win, they'll be tied with Charlottesville. And if Harrisonburg wins, uh, they'll be tied with Charlottesville for first place in the South. And then I'm sure there's a tiebreaker that sorts that out. Um, But in the North... The crazy bit of news is that Newmarket, who would be the four seed, uh, bowed out of the playoffs on Saturday. They said on Saturday that they will not be participating in the postseason. Uh, They had players leaving and were not going to be able to field what they felt was going to be a competitive team. And so in the best interest of their player safety and everything else, they decided to just drop out at the end of the regular season. So that was kind of a surprise. It opened the door for Front Royal and Winchester. Um, And the interesting part about that is going to be that right now, as of tonight, the Cardinals have an advantage over the Royals. Um, They're playing Strasburg tonight. If they were to win, I think that locks them into that 4C. But if they were to lose then the Royals would have potential 
to get in. Um, but it's it's craziness all around the valley right now, especially up north. Um, so. So this is when you got to go to All Things Valley League to know what's going on, right? Yes. <laughs> you want to go to All Things Valley to League, talk Pike. to John Leonard. He'll, he'll explain <laughs> it way better than I just did. Um, but in terms of local fans, Waynesboro is going to be in the postseason. Waynesboro does have a good team, but Harrisonburg's playing really well right now. And, and that's a team that has some talent. The only question is going to be, can the pitching of Waynesboro hold up when they get into the offensive firepower of uh, a Charlottesville that has come on late. Charlottesville, for the most part of the season, did not have a good offense. But at the end, they came alive, started scoring some runs. They, they added some pieces late, including a Christian Martin from Virginia Tech, a Carter Cunningham from East Carolina. Those two really leap off the page when you're watching them play. Um, and then for Waynesboro, uh, again, they're going to be relying on their pitching for the most part. But you have Mikey Rosario, who is going to transfer to FIU, from Harrisonburg. Seaver King has been phenomenal. He's a D2 player from Wingate for Harrisonburg. Those guys have just been instrumental in helping Harrisonburg win games. And so it's a three-way race in the South, I think. Covington is the one team I am sure we will not see in the championship round. Um, The other three... They got to face Charlottesville no matter what. So that's... Well, or... If no, Charlotte- there, it is. It's at Charlottesville no matter what. They clinched the one seed. Okay. So, I, went, I went to All Things Valley. Well, gotcha. <laughs> all right. So I guess they had the tiebreaker that I wasn't sure about. So The two and three between Waynesboro is what's getting decided uh, tonight. tonight. Okay. Well, Waynesboro has a lead right else, now. Actually, everything else in the whole playoffs is set tonight as we go in because Winchester's out. Okay. Winchester's now out. Gotcha. So yep. Front Royal's in. Uh, well, that sucks. Um, But... <laughs> Homer. <laughs> well, sure. Um, but, the Riverhead's guy telling you you're a Homer. <laughs> but um, the North, who knows? I mean, Woodstock ended up winning the regular season division title, but Strasburg is always tough to rule out up there. I'd say it's one of those two. Uh, Front Royal will get swept, and Strasburg-Percival will be interesting because I think Percival may have actually won the regular season series between those two sides. Uh, right. We, we want coach loss to do well. So, um, my prediction right now would be Harrisonburg and Woodstock, but we'll see. So then I'll go what we've seen Strasburg, uh, Charlottesville a couple of times, haven't we? These last few years, Strasburg, Charlottesville has been, yeah, yeah, there's, uh, not last year, but, uh, I think two or three years before. So that'll be my guess. Okay. Because even though Waynesboro or whatever, like, no, they're the rival. I'm not, I'm not rooting for them. The That's way you so talk ridiculous. about Mexico and soccer is how I'm treating Waynesboro here. <laughs> okay. Just because just stands out doesn't mean I go to Waynesboro. Well, when they start throwing I'll, bags full of pee at each other, let me know, because then you'll have an accurate <laughs> reflection point. But I'm cheering for loss. That's, that's my, yeah. my go-to here. No, I, I understand that. I need to come up with a, a GIF on Twitter to throw at you every time Loss wins a playoff game here. I will I say, um, I really wish uh, Joe DeLosantos had been able to keep the batting average uh, closer to the top. Um, yeah. There at the beginning, he had been absolutely pulverizing the ball. Thomas Sanchez, it looks like, uh, totally just leaped him in um, – 
home runs at the end, and then Cole Wagner also had a couple big games to leap Joe DeLosantos as well. Um, but if Joe DeLosantos, who was going into the last day of the regular season, was the leader in home runs and RBIs uh, until the Braves season finished and these other teams have had other games, so they've caught up and passed him. But if his batting average had been up there, that he had potential to potentially be the MVP on the worst team in the South this year. Um, he he was having that good of a season, um, but the batting average did drop off a little bit. Still had a ton of power, a ton of RBIs, was a really good player for the Braves. Andrew Bennett was another guy who did well. Um, and then I think the interesting thing is going to be, can they get a guy like Will McCausland back? Because Will McCausland came in toward the end of the year, pitched four games for Stanton this year, was the best pitcher in terms of ERA, um, had four starts. He was a kid who just graduated high school up in Pennsylvania um, and came to pitch for the Braves this summer. He's going to be pitching at St. Joe's uh, in the A-10, and he'll be one of their best pitchers, I would imagine, as soon as he gets on campus. Uh, He was that good uh, in the Valley League. So I think if the Braves can get him back into the Valley League, that would be a huge get for them going into next year. And that's going to be the interesting thing. How many of these players come back? How many... uh, how many players do That's they go and get? Yeah. Are they going to keep local kids? Are they going to recruit more local kids? Are they going to broaden their horizons in terms of searching? Um, there's advantages to having local kids. It, it's less host families you need. But um, if you can have a broad search, that helps you in terms of your talent pool and everything else. Well, I'm disappointed the Braves didn't make it. But I think with what John Leonard said when we had him on at the beginning of the season, my my hopes of a of a pennant wasn't was pretty minimal. Um, I you know it'd have been nice to make the playoffs, but that's all right. Sure. Uh, the big leagues they had their all star game last week. We recorded and put it out on Sunday uh, ahead of all that stuff. Um, I know you were busy. You were busy uh, calling Stanton Braves games. Um, I watched the home run derby and it was fun like normal. Um, I don't know. I think other years it probably was a little more fun. Um, but the kid from uh, the Mariners really lit it up, and that was that was fun. Juan Soto wins the thing uh, in a final against him, though. Um, so now here's another Nationals uh, player to win a home run derby, and uh, this one not in Nationals Park like uh, Harper did, oh, that's um, right. but yeah. he might be on his way out like Harper did uh, because right before the All-Star break weekend, uh, Soto was apparently offered 440. Mm-hmm. Over 15 years, yeah. 15 years and uh, declined it and then skirted all the questions on it. I'm putting it on his agent like it's his decision. Um, but I hate the drama around that right now because Soto is so good and I think it makes me feel more negative about it. Now, I'm around a lot of friends that are Braves fans that aren't quick to like Soto, but he is, you know, he's like the best player in baseball right now. One of the best, you know, it, it's that's the argument you can make easily. He's He's right up there at the top. And I just hate that there's all this swirling around them, but it, that's the nature of the business. And, but that, you know, that number gets put out by the nationals, you know, that's not Soto telling everybody what he turned down. He allowed to keep it quiet. That's the nationals being out. Hey, we're trying to keep them for 440 million, all this. I just, <laughs> I just hate the game of it. I hate the game of it all. And, uh, I think I probably hate it most. Cause I know my pirates are, aren't going to be involved in any of it. So it's hard for me to, so really didn't care that much. I hope he doesn't go to the Yankees. I hope he doesn't go to the Dodgers. I hope he doesn't go. I don't know where else they're talking about him going, but I just, I don't know. I felt like it 
put a negative kind of side to the whole conversation the next morning after he'd won that home run derby. It was fun to watch. Um, I just thought every, that's the first thing Eric talked about after that. So I, that's that was my reaction. Yeah. Sorry to the listeners there. Um, but that was me <laughs> choking on my point of $440 million is misleading. I was surprising myself with it. Um, because the... <laughs> My boss offered. My boss said, "What if I offered you four hundred forty million dollars?" I said, "Well, if I was one of the best in my business here, I, here's what I'd have to say." And what yeah, about your boss? That's said? the that's the thing, right? Like it's over fifteen years, so it's twenty six million a year. Right. But most There's of that is backloaded as well. Years. Most of that's backloaded as well. So for Juan Soto, it's like, ah, no thanks. Um, and I get that. You're just that. gonna come to me later asking the Bobby Bonilla, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. So. Pay me my money. Um. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily blame Juan Soto for no, for not wanting I that. Don't. If the Nats were serious, they'd offer him the same amount of money for 10 years. Um, but they're not. So they're not going to. Uh, and you and add in the fact that... to go after 45 to 50. Yeah. You, you, know, like that's, that's you add in the after. fact that Juan Soto, I don't think, wants to be a National for 15 years. Um, and, the, I mean, the Nationals are selling right now. They're, the learners are looking to sell the team. There's a lot of interesting things inside of that with that franchise. That stadium doesn't have a naming rights deal. So that's a plus if you're a buyer because that's money you can make. Um, the mass and TV dispute. The national, the new owner may just come in and say, you know what? Forget this. I just want, I want to be able to get out of mass and, and make my own TV deal, which they might do. Um, I mean, there's another TV network existing already that they could deal NBC with. Sports Network is where exactly where I'd expect them to go. Um, then there is the whole, do they keep Juan Soto? Do they not keep Juan Soto? Because right. that's going to add to the valuation of that franchise as well. Um, no owner is probably going to buy before deal, that yeah. is. Yeah, no owner is going to buy before that is handled, I would imagine. So... Um, I just don't think Juan Soto, two things. I don't think Juan Soto gets traded this year, and I also don't think Juan Soto is going to stay on the Nationals long term. Like, seeing what the Nationals are asking for, the Nationals are asking for, like, three or three or four of teams' top prospects. Teams are not going to do that. Even, even for someone like Juan Soto, that's just not something that's going to happen. So... If you're the Nationals, I get that's what you want. But it's already come out that he doesn't want to be there. So no team is going to give that up if they don't have to. Yeah, but you could have them. If, if you're a competitor, you could have them these next two years instead of waiting two years to get them. Yeah, but you are selling Yeah, but a lot of those competitive teams future. already sell people off all the time. Like, I mean, the Yankees do that crap all the time. Yes, but the Yankees have recently taken a different kind of approach. Not that they don't still break the bank on free agents occasionally, but they're not doing it every offseason, and they're not doing it at the alarming rate that they used to. They might have been waiting for him, as, <laughs> as are someone like him. Maybe. And, and he's good, and he's, I mean, he's 23, 20. The question, the question for the Yankees is where do you put him? Well, yeah. But you're only going to have Stanton – so many more years like yeah immediately yes long term no yeah but you if they if they sign somebody like soto that the puts them back in that luxury years. tax hell forever like that's something they have recently gotten out of i think that's something that's honestly the yankees are looking to avoid in the future they might 
they might deal with it short term, but they don't want to be dealing with it for like an entire decade above the luxury tax because that gets more and more punitive each consecutive year. So that's not something they're looking to do. I need um, to refresh in my, my crap talk on the Yankees then because I just until I see the Yankees not get him. I the Dodgers, the, the Dodgers are a team I that, want that either. I don't know where they would put him, but the Dodgers have added pieces before where I'm like, where do you put that guy? And they. Hey, the Angels could get them, and they could just keep on yeah, winning. Yeah, I, I just – yeah, the Angels – that's <laughs> like a team. They spend money and not win. Mm. I don't know how you would be an Angels fan. That would be bad. Um, I would keep saying it, but, that, I mean, honestly, Shohei Otani had rumors flying around him because he has the same kind of deal. He's In two years, he's not, a, he's not contracted with the Angels, and he's going to be garner a lot of money, and so he'd be very valuable. And I think one of the guys on MLB Network in the last couple days was like, the Braves are going to get Shohei Otani, which is just out of left field, just out of nowhere. It's just reckless speculation. But, like, I, it just shocked me when I heard that. And then I heard the details. I was like, well, it's not that different than Soto. Like, he's going to get big money. But, I, I mean, that's another player. I don't want going to any of the teams we just listed. I don't want him at the Dodgers. No, I don't want him at the Dodgers. I don't want him at the Yankees. Who else Yankees? is going to spend the money on him? So, we just need to encourage these other teams to pony up. It, they keep proving. I mean, we keep seeing – World Series winners that aren't forking up that kind of money. Like, sure, the Red Sox forked up money and have won some, but there's all these teams that are able to compete and get close or win it without having broken the bank and then be in that luxury tax situation. So why, at some point, this market of high of of ten to fifteen year contracts for the new most money is is going to slow down even like I think it already did. I mean, there was already the Bryce Harper deal waited forever. And, and yeah. there's, there's things pointing to like the market kind of not breaking, but like maybe plateauing because people are winning without doing that. So I, I, I don't know. Well, and I think I, and that was the Phillies doing that. That wasn't a Yankees or Dodgers. Right. So like we need, uh, so maybe that we need more of that, but I just, yeah. It's important though. And this goes back to why teams aren't going to give up three or four prospects for one guy. Mike Trout is maybe the best – well, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani are arguably the two best players to ever play the game of baseball. They're on the same team, and that team sucks. So you have to have an actual good roster. And if you break the bank on one guy for half a billion dollars, like it's really hard to build the rest of that roster. So that's why teams aren't doing that. That's why teams aren't going to give up three or four prospects for a guy like that. Because they're like, nope, because I need to build the rest of this roster. And it gets really hard to do that. I'll build it, and I'll wait for it. If I have to spend the money like the Padres did. Yeah, I'll wait until they're a free agent, and I'll shoot my shot then. Yeah. Um, And it's working for the the Padres are competitive, having done that, because they didn't have to trade for the big name. And and the interesting thing, you know, I I listened to Mike Schur talk on a podcast uh, because he has a baseball podcast with Joe Posnanski. um, And... I was listening to him talk about it, and he said, Shohei Otani, when you think about it, pitcher and hitter, open valuation would be worth about $700 million because he's about a $300 million (laughs) hitter and a $400 million pitcher. Yeah. So if you take his pitcher value and his hitter value and combine it, it'd be about $700 million. I mean, and you think about the eyeballs that's putting on your team. Like, look at all these teams, like – Ichiro in Seattle and Yao Ming yeah. with Houston Rockets and basketball. Like they get the, the Asian market when they go there and, it, and there's a lot of value in that. And I don't think we, we now Shohei Otani is not getting much because we don't see it. Right. And Mike sure wasn't saying that's what Shohei Otani is going to get. He was just saying, no, if you factor in like his hitting value alone and his pitching value alone, 
and then combine them, yeah. that's what that would be worth. And that's, I mean, a team's only, there is a finite amount of money with Major League Baseball. So, and, and these clubs. So no one's going to spend $700 million on Shohei Otani. But no. I am I interested to see where he goes. I am interested to see what his number is because, honestly, like, this goes back to my point when I get frustrated with, like, old dinosaur baseball fans when they're like, oh, Babe Ruth's the best player to ever play the game. I'm like, Shohei Otani is doing what Babe Ruth did, except he's doing it better. He's a better pitcher than Babe Ruth was. He's a better hitter than Babe Ruth was. For a period of for a short period of time, he has done that better. Like he got you got to do it over the long haul before people are going to give him that respect. But he's on the way. Like I, I'm not saying he can't. I always say King Griffey Jr. and this is on a hitter, you know, hitter and fielder side only, not pitching. Like he played the game at at the highest level it's ever been played. I and there's argument there, but like, okay. Shohei Itani has played it great these last two years. You know, it's, what, two years now? He's, he's doing stuff really we've doing. never seen. Right. Right. So I, I'm here for it. I hope he can continue to do that in a uniform that I choose to cheer for. That's that's my number one Or at priority. least one I don't hate. Yeah. At the I end mean, of the no, day, I that's, I just. A lot of baseball teams. Yeah. Not yeah. hate is, like, New York and. I mean, when the Orioles, mean, you know, I mean, we're building out this I roster. I hate outside you know? of New York? I don't know. That's the joke on like Orioles Twitter. We're going to go sign Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. But um, do it. I really appreciate if y'all did that because I had a couple cream sodas this weekend and made a little baseball bet. That the Orioles will get them? That they'll make the playoffs next year. Oh, I actually agree with that. Was it with Steve? I know you would. You're the one that's talking yeah. me into such a statement. Was it with Steve? Yes. I have steak dinner bet with Steve. Love because it. Because I was – Deep in cream sodas, and uh, that's okay. That and so this is your fault. If, no, uh, if I, I think this it. is going to happen. I think you're going to win that bet. I think you will win that bet, so. especially if the Red Sox keep having the outfielders they have. I mean, their center fielder was guest starring for the re- he was that was his audition was tape for the reboot of Lost. <laughs> that was his audition tape for the reboot of Lost. That fly ball, and he doesn't know where it is. And then the worst part, he sees it land and walks, and walks toward it. Not even walk. <laughs> Yeah, he's just like, somebody else, go get that. And I loved it. I laughed so hard that night when I saw that. I was like, this is the best. I love this franchise. 28 to 5 or something. something. Oh, my gosh. It was great. It was a bad weekend. They had, I didn't know, I've never heard of this person before. Uh, They had someone throw out the first pitch. And Barstool was right there with it. Like, the Red Sox might never lose again after oh, yeah. Sweeney or something her name is. Yeah. Uh, throws out the first pitch. And then, like, the most obvious this hasn't aged well tweet that's ever existed. Because it was 28 to 5. And it's just and, – and then there are memes coming in. And I didn't know anything about this girl previously. Now I know way too much about this girl. And, uh, yeah, it's just – it's really funny, the memes that have come out of that one. So, yeah. Uh, they had a bad weekend. They surely had a bad weekend. So uh, the number one argument is the number one argument you gave me about the Orioles. Actually, we had this argument on and off air that about them being the playoffs and then mm-hmm. coming up and you're like, Hey, less division games next year. They're going to play everybody else in baseball. So you have that many more games that they can win. And I think that's a great point. The quick rebuttal I got from Steve cash. Well, so does the rest of the division. Yeah. But the rest <laughs> of the division isn't as good outside the division. 
And I think that I think all you need to see is just the records outside the division. Yeah, but if they all beat up on all these other teams now, like the Orioles will still be behind three or four. I levels. hear you, but my point is the Orioles, when they're not playing in the AL East, are really good. The Red Sox, when they're not playing in the AL East, are not really good. Yeah. Well, they might not be. I think they. I don't. I know. don't think the Red Sox I, are going to be a factor. I said this weekend, like, oh, they're okay, and I got argued with quickly. Uh, and then the results from the weekend have only proven against me. So I, I don't know much about the Red Sox this weekend. I don't, I don't know. What, that the Red Sox are okay? Um, you said that? I, they had, they've had their little run here that they were pretty good. They're, they're free-falling right they're now. Just, they are in trouble. They don't have enough starting pitch. Yeah, I just yeah. – I wasn't up on the free-fall, and this weekend magnified that. So that's fine. I could be wrong about the Red Sox. I don't care. I just better not be wrong about the Orioles. Or I'm You're going to be right about the Orioles. I I am pretty sure about that. I wish I could I, bet I, that the Orioles would be a playoff team. You. The Orioles are up 5-1 to one on the Tampa Bay Rays. What, who are the Tampa Bay Rays? Please. Hey, can it all get decided tonight? That'd be nice. We might be in the playoffs this year, Leland. <laughs> who knows? We're going to be 500 I again. I need it next year. I didn't make any bet on this year. <laughs> We're about to be even with the Boston Red Sox if we win tonight. We'll be even with the Boston Red Sox. We are hunting them. <laughs> we are hunting us some Red Sox, and we're going to catch us some Red Sox. They suck. I'm so not scared of that poverty franchise in Boston. <laughs> um, all right, looking ahead a little bit. I think this might be our last sports topic, unless you got something else for me. Uh, the NFL, all the camps are getting going, so this is just the okay. reminder for people. What... NFL team are you most interested in that aren't called the Ravens for you and for me the Steelers? What what I got are, what two storyline? What team are you most interested in? I got two for you. One in each conference. AFC, it's the Miami Dolphins. They're bringing in Tyreek Hill. Okay. They got a yeah. new coach. If they can't figure it out now, Tua's not the answer. That's oh, yeah. Tua. This is all, make or Tua break year for culture. Tua. This is make yeah. or break year for Tua. That's going to be interesting. It's not an impossible division. So the Bills that? are good. Just like winning the division or playoffs? Ooh, I just getting in the playoffs. You you have to get in the playoffs okay. if you're doing. Because the Bills are really good. The Bills will probably win that division, but you need to be able to beat out the Patriots this year. And you have to be able to get in a wild card spot. I think there's three of them now in the AFC. You have to get it one of those wild card spots. Okay. Who's your NFC one to watch? The Carolina Panthers. Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I can I be what, honest? I'm really only now? interested in week one when he plays the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, OK, I hear what you're saying. And the Miami one, I like your answer. Like, that's that's good. Um, the Carolina Panthers, it's it, all you care about is week just, one. It's not enough story. It's not enough story. It's week one. I want to see Baker Mayfield versus the Cleveland Browns. Also, this is a make or break year for Baker Mayfield, too, because he actually uh, when yeah. you go back and look at his numbers, before he was injured, he was actually doing really well. And then he gets hurt, tries to battle through it, and it doesn't work out. And then Cleveland tries to replace him. So I, I kind of want to see, is he actually good, or was that a flash in the pan when he was good? I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, in the middle of our little discussion here, I'm seeing that the NFL now has NFL Plus live games and more. I think, did the NFL just buy their own? Uh, online service for watching out of market games. Uh, no, that's always been a thing. I'm sure it's. I'm sure if you look in the terms and conditions, it's probably like the next day or I'm, something. 
I'm clicking this now, and it seems it's like introducing NFL Plus. So I'm, I'm I don't know. I have to learn more about this, and it might be dominating my wife, my life by next week. Um, oh, I all right, my team is you. One is the that you already ran through here. I gotta cut this off because I think it's slowing down my computer. Um, is the Buffalo Bills? You mentioned them as likely to win that division, just with how epic of of a game they played to end last year and to come up on the short end of the stick there. I want to see how they react. And I think at that time last year, I said on the podcast, I was kind of rooting for them. Like, you know, this was a team that hadn't had a whole lot of success for a long time. And, um, you know, not any kind of major um, falls from, you know, like, it's not like everybody hyped them and then they fail. Like, it, they had, like, little things you thought might work and then they kind of don't. And they had a coach there that was being successful and all of a sudden he leaves and stuff like that. Like, I'm interested on seeing how they rebound this year. I think with the Chiefs losing Tyreek Hill, I think with what else we've seen throughout the division, I think that AFC's West is tough and they might beat up on each other. I'm just interested to see what the Bills can do, what kind of record they can kind of sit with. Can they kind of look like the best team in football this year? Um, I think I think they could. I think it's possible. So I'm, I'm really interested to see what they can do. I don't know if I had an NFC uh, team ready – uh, to talk about, <laughs> I mean, it's always the, the, uh, commanders, the Washington football team is always one that I pay attention to in the NFC, but no, the bills, that's my, that's my one answer. The bills are who I'm most interested in seeing what they do this year outside of my favorite team. Okay. The chiefs would so, be another good answer though, because, because of the subtraction yeah, of Tyree kill. People, yeah. Yeah. I think it's the bills time. I'm, I'm ready for Chris Berman to be happy. Wow. I don't know. He was on uh, the Home Run Derby for a little bit the other night. He was sitting next to Tim. Can Kirkman we talk about that, was... that? Let's talk about it. I don't like the bracket format. They need to get rid of the bracket format. Oh, on the Home Run Derby? Yeah. I. <sighs> yeah. I. The, the reason that they do the new style with the time limit. Time limit's fine. Pit, I'm fine with that because it's good for broadcast. They have a little better idea on how long this is going to take, how long between breaks. I can get that. You don't have to have the bracket format to have that. Right. But it does kind of set up interesting when, like, the eight knocks off the one in the first round and, and the run that Pujols was able to go on. I, it made it. The run that Pujols went on was rigged. It was a sham. It was a little weird. It was a little weird. They Even didn't count the one moment. of Schwarber's home runs. You know why? Because that's the time problem. That's where the time problem comes in. Because they can't keep track of it. I think they have, they've had, had, and I think they've modified, and then it seemed weird at one point where they were kind of holding the guy from pitching. No waiting. Like, if that guy can, like, take half swings and keep knocking them out, whatever he wants to do, you have the three minutes, and then they have the extra three minutes that everybody gets, so I don't really call that extra, and then you get the 30 seconds, or 30 minutes, 30 seconds, then you get another 30 seconds if you hit two over 460, all this other stuff. I, okay, I'm I'm not really tearing that apart. I just wish you don't call bonus time bonus time if everybody gets it. Um, but don't have any delay between pitches. Don't you don't don't have to wait for it to land or something like that. Just you have that time go. And if you want to rush the heck out of it, then so be it. And it felt like some hitters were doing that early, and then all of a sudden they were like kind of getting in the way of the pitchers coming. That's that's not fair. And I agree with the Schwarber thing. I I wasn't laying into this. Albert thing because I, I knew what was what happened there. I think it was good he wasn't in the final. Once you know, I think I think it was good things got sorted out. Yeah, that was a sham. 
Um, but the downside of that, Leland, is it makes for a worse a TV. Well, it's a sham. But the downside of what you're talking about and just let them go as fast as they can, it does make it harder for TV. They have because by the time split screen already. Yeah, but by the time you see one land, there's another one being hit, and there's like three balls still in the air yeah. at the same time, and like it's a problem. I, then how do you like? I don't like the like I don't like the alternative because there's like they don't enforce it, and then if you stop it, then it becomes a bigger like you're on a time thing. You can't stop it and then make them pay back time. Like so it's, instead it's, of it's ten outs, instead of ten outs, make it five outs. Just reduce the number of outs. I I didn't have a problem with that the number of outs thing. Mm. No, because guys were taking pitches like crazy, and it was it would. It well, was then tell them you that. only get like, three takes during a round. You can only take three pitches. Pick a good pitcher. I'm fine with the time limit. I'm fine with the time limit. I, the bracket, the bracket thing doesn't bother me for an exhibition event that doesn't matter. Like it just, it's, it's dumb. This year was seemed like there was more rule questions than usual. So it's that dumb. just means you, you have get eight a little people. Bit tighter with it. You have eight people. The top four home run hitters go to the next round. Then it's the top two. And then I think I also think you should keep adding them up, even in the final. Add it's up. added up at the home say. derby because that guy for the Mariners hit like three times as many home runs as Juan Soto. It was yeah. shenanigans that he doesn't win. Yeah, I mean, then that that issue goes back even in '99 when yeah, it's it was, then. it was dumb then. It was dumb then. Yeah, it was dumb then. It's dumb now. It's dumb. It's just well, dumb. it's like in NASCAR where all the points go to zero in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, and then it's even dumber because the last race is all four. The top four guys yeah. are zeroed out, and then whoever finishes the best. The board it's so many dumb. Times. It's yeah. dumb. Trying to build drama. Sometimes, sometimes you take away drama when you try to build drama. Um. All right. You know, in dominating my life, I noticed last week, fifteen minutes after we recorded our episode, on the same day that it occurred. I didn't talk anything about the British Open last week. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because I didn't watch any. I did watch some, and I paid attention, ex- especially Saturday, Sunday. But it just didn't it didn't register in my mind of something to talk about because, I don't know, Tiger just, just drives that sport so much. And when he's out of it on Friday, no one's paying attention. So Rory had his shot. That would have been the next best thing kind of for golf, I think. Um, somebody that's still in the PGA Tour who's a known name to, to win that PGA would have loved that. He fell up short, not because of a bad day on Sunday. He, he played hard on Sunday and, and shot well under par. It's just someone shot more under par. So, um, you know, that's fine. But I think it just, I think me not talking about it last week kind of re reinforces the fact that this live tour from the Saudis supported money is is causing an issue here at the worst time for the PGA, where the PGA is coming off of the stars that they had, and they don't have, like, one star to lock into now. They have a field of guys. That field is getting broken up with guys going to this live tour and kind of breaking things up. I'm not a big fan of the idea of the live tour. I, I think when I've watched very little of it um, kind of in a playback format, not even live, because it's online only and – I just haven't caught it. Um, it's a little weird. There's a, it, they're kind of all playing at the same time. Um, it's not going out in groups like I'm used to. So maybe some of that's just me to get used to. Um, I just don't like the approach that it's taken. I don't like all the, you know, bad feelings that everybody seems to have with moving over to it. Um, 
and, and then I, I do think it's a factor of like where this money's coming from. I'm not going to sit here on some soapbox and say every single person that's involved in the live tour is now terrible because of this. I, but I do think that's a factor of my, my impact on this. I don't look at the PGA as some coming from a lot of money where you question where it comes from or what's happening because of that money with the live tour you do. So I, I do question that. And it makes me not want guys to go over there. And, um, it didn't bother me when it was just like Phil Mickelson and Greg Norman beating their chest, but now a lot more guys are going and it, and it bothers me. And, and um, you got like commentators going over there. And now they're talking about Charles Barkley going over there, which if he does, he's probably losing his job at TNT. I'm going to see him a lot less. I, I'm not watching any live golf, so I don't think he's going to pull me into it either. And I think it makes it that reinforces the live thing kind of being a sideshow because why do you need Charles Barkley there talking about golf? Like <laughs> he's over here talking about basketball, something he played in the pros for so long. And then golf is something that he's done horribly for his whole life. And his head shows based on it. I don't really need to hear him talking about golf. He's not going to pull me over. So I'm just not a fan of any of this. I've, I've liked Charles Barkley more in his retirement because I didn't like him as a player with, and especially with Shaq on set. Like I like both those guys more now together arguing on inside the NBA than I liked him before. And I kind of don't want that to end, especially for him to go somewhere else. If they retire, okay. But like to go talk about golf on something that I'm not watching and don't really, I'm not eager to watch either. I, I'm not a fan of. So. So it does seem like Chuck is going to be done at the end of this contract with TNT. I think that's two years. Um, he keeps saying he's not going to re-up. Now, the live golf thing's new, but. He keeps apparently by not- Thursday we'll know what he's doing. Apparently, oh gosh, That's what he told Dan Patrick this morning. He did say if Live Golf offered him sixty million dollars, he would go. It's a lot. I mean, I just sat here and said a lot of bad things about my idea of Live Golf. If Live Golf offered me sixty million dollars, I'd probably go too. So sixty million dollars is a lot of money. Um, <laughs> I probably forget about where the money came from. To be dead honest, that's life changing money for me. Yeah, for Charles Barkley, he makes a ton of money. I don't know how much he a makes. Year. He said twenty million. He said that on Dan Patrick. He said I make twenty million a year for TNT or with his for TNT. I think his, his endorsements are going to be in trouble. Well, maybe that was TNT this. with endorsements, but okay. Um, so that's so yeah, three times the amount of money a year, and he can do that for what three years instead of working. Yeah, you know, I mean. <laughs> It's, yeah, because if you take that, if you take that, you do run the risk of losing your endorsements. You do run the risk yeah. of losing TNT money. Um, but I also think if he gets sixty million dollars, he's not really going to care. Um, and I will say this too: like I just, I hear what you're saying on the money, and and you're not wrong, and I agree. Like it's, I'm it's one of the reasons of I don't like. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I don't like the idea of live golf. But I also have heard, and I don't disagree, we are holding golfers to a higher standard than we hold any other industry and any government. Yeah. Lots of people doing business with the Saudis. Especially government, but like... WWE I does guess, business with the Saudis. I guess I feel, yeah, I don't care about Soccer WWE. does I, business I with the Saudis. Like The first thing I'm going to go to is the government. With the government dealings, there does tend to seem like there's some kind of necessity. 
it's being framed that way. So yeah. like, that's my my quickest out there is that there's some form of necessity. There's some form of global relations aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd much rather not be enemies with everybody, <laughs> but um, I don't I don't know. And I don't have the perfect answer there. I'd also I like think, them to not cut up Washington Post journalists. But I uh, absolutely agree with that. Absolutely agree with that. I, I guess when you talk about these soccer and, and WD, that seems more like the whole entities. And when I, it, it's easy for these golfers to look at them as individuals, individual decisions and not league decisions. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I agree. I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I'm not saying everybody else is in wrong for. And, and for then on the flip that. side, I mean, like, you have the NBA, right? Standard. You have the NBA with China and the NFL is I'm sure go- if the NFL thought they could get into China would and major league baseball is I'm, I guess no one wants Major League Baseball is the problem yeah. for Major League Baseball. But um, it's there's there's a lot of just. But it's not only us. I mean, no. the, there's. I mean, these other golf organizations are. I mean, at some point, these the majors are gonna. They kind of avoided it this year with the timing of all this. Mm-hmm. The majors avoided it at any moment. Like three of the four majors can really cause them a problem. The yeah. Masters, absolutely. The Masters, number one, absolutely. So the that's PGA, if you're the PGA obviously. Tour, that's what you need, right? You have to have the oh, U.S. The Open. you got to have the Masters on your side. you got to yeah. have the Masters on your side. you got to have the U.S. Open. you got to have the British Open on your side. The PGA Championship, the, they, the, that's their thing. They can. Yeah, that's their thing. The, the U.S. Open and the British Open, that word open is what leaves you open to some problems of these other guys right. getting in. Now, they can create rules within those opens mm-hmm. and say, it's darn near impossible to do this. If you're on the live tour, you got to take part in this many events that are sanctioned or whatever. Or they could also say, if you're in the live tour, you're not going to be in, allowed to be in it. Like they could yeah. simply do that if they wanted. Now, but I don't think they will. To me, the U S open was the, like the one that was gonna be the hardest for them to draw a line. The, the British open already has some kind of catch in place. That's probably going to catch up to them next year. It says all these guys left mid year and they had already qualified. Um, the U.S. Open was the hardest one for that to to for it to change, but they can change. Like I was going to say, have, that's as simple as changing yeah. bylaws. Yeah. So this next year is the live or die, uh, and that's a play on the live word there. Uh, it's going to be live or die for live golf, and when those, if all those majors, but if the Masters, out, if the Masters does not say anything about it, I, I, it's going to be hard. They're going to be the leader of it. Yeah, it's going to be hard. I don't think the Masters will. That would be one, too, to be like, I get it. I get all the things I said. I get I don't like the live tour. I don't like the idea of that. That being said, if the Masters tried to get on a moral high horse, I'd be like, mm. oh, yeah. <laughs> like, which morals are we caring about today? Right. Yeah. Like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> that. that that would be kind of kind of comical. But um yeah, I just I don't know, I hate it. But there's a reason the Saudis are doing this. And and for all the people that are like it's just sports, you know, why do we have to bring everything in? That's what they want you to think. That's what they, that's how they want people to act. There's a reason these these governments are starting to get involved in sports and they call it sports washing cuz it works. It works. F1 has a race in Saudi Arabia. 
Like, it, it works. These governments want that. They want to be able to say, look, we're great. Ignore all that stuff about, you know, human rights violations and all that. But look how cool we are. Look how great we are. Look how much fun you can have here. Look how awesome. Just to get people to th- stop thinking about the other stuff and embrace what they want to show you. That's, there's a reason they're doing it, and it, it's working. And so this is just another example. Now, I will say, while part of me is like, look, it's life-changing money. They're individuals. I probably shouldn't be holding them to a higher standard. It is kind of bad when Phil Mickelson says the quiet part out loud. Yeah. When Phil Mickelson's like, yeah, it's bad that they both on somebody, but, you know, whatever. I'm like, you can't say yeah. that. You cannot yeah. say that. At least Chuck keeps it on money. At least Chuck's yeah, like, Yeah, Chuck's like, it's money, $60 million. Money, 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 it's money. money. It's dollars. Yeah. It's dollars and yeah. cents. Like, yeah, Phil was bad. That was bad. Um, and I think he I probably even got Phil a phone call. He probably got even, Phil. he probably even got a phone call from the Saudi government. Like, shut up, shut up, you <laughs> idiot. Shut up. Like, <laughs> I know that was nowhere in the, maybe that was highlighted green for go ahead and don't say it in his press packet. But like, th- there's no way they wanted that. No one told him, Hey, when that question comes up, this is how you answer it. No one told him to answer it that way. Yeah. See, it doesn't hurt me. I know other people like really complain, like feel like they're missing something with Phil. And so I never liked him anyway, so I, I don't miss him. But uh, eh. yeah, I never watched. Golf, I don't know, so it's fine. But I know you don't. Hey, you said more about this topic than I thought you would, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Well, it has been. It's been very popular on Levitard and its other sports podcasts yeah. that I listen to. It's it's a big deal. So yeah, um, Tony talks about it every episode. So I was to say I've heard about it. I'm sure he does. I've I've heard about it a lot, but. Mm. He calls it the Saudi tour. He doesn't call it live golf. He calls it the Saudi tour every time. But doesn't time. doesn't the PA PGA have an event in Saudi Arabia as well? I don't. I, I think they have a Saudi. I think now. they just have one tournament in Saudi Arabia. But they are cool. like any any of these golf courses that live is coming over to the U.S. Like they had one in Portland and stuff. They're like blackballing all those courses and stuff. It's just and there's there's one owner of courses that are is particularly hosting these mm-hmm. uh on this side and they're just cutting him out completely <laughs> like they already had so not surprising <laughs> not surprising it's yeah. all it all gets back to money and politics so yeah and that's both sides anything. of the aisle both sides of the aisle involved in that dirty money oh my goodness yes yeah yeah so. yeah anything dominate in your life uh you free time you've had two free nights off now what i mean you must be partying up uh, yeah, Saturday night and then tonight. Um, I, well, I had Sunday night too because the game got moved up to one. That's I will true, say yeah. Saturday, uh, I watch. I don't watch a ton of UFC anymore. Like it's just there's not many fighters to bring me in. But I was talking to some guys in a group, and you know they were all on this guy, and they're like, "You gotta watch this guy. He's young. He's cool. He's." Uh, and then the one knows I'm a Liverpool soccer fan. He's like, he's from Liverpool. He's so cool. Blah, blah. <laughs> They're fighting in England. And I was like, all right, I'll check it out. And uh, his name is Patty Pimblet. He goes by Patty the Batty. I saw the highlights. I saw yeah. his pregame. I saw his weigh-in, too. Right? His, uh, fake handshake. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> um, but was it? It was, it was in <laughs> – the fight was in London. So this was another advantage to get me to watch. It was on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, I didn't have to deal with a pay-per-view, which also was the only reason I watched. But so his fight, which is like one of the main event fights, is at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, awesome. I don't have to stay up till midnight or 1 a.m. to watch this. You've got me. Um, he comes in. I don't even remember what his actual song was now. Um, but the crowd 
is doing the Seven Nation Army chant to Oh, Patty the Batty. Uh, just over and over, it's just ringing throughout the entire arena. This The guy he's fighting is an American who is just sitting there like, not scared. He's ready. He's only had two losses in his professional career. He's going to wipe the floor with this kid. And he, the first round, I think he may have actually won. It was going to be interesting because he was controlling the fight. He didn't do a lot of damage, but he was controlling the fight. Second round, he gets to the ground, and Patty Pimblett locks in a submission hold and chokes him out. And that was awesome. But the other cool part is he's got, like, this budding friendship with a female fighter that is also from Liverpool, and she was fighting, and she had a spin-around elbow Mm-hmm. Caught a caught the other woman. She goes down, and then she just hammer fists her till Herb Dean steps in. Um, but it was cool to see those. I think the British fighter. I think the English fighters actually were like undefeated. I think every English fighter on, on that card won, um, mm. which those fans love over there. But it was cool, and it just reminds me of like when I was watching. I was like, gosh, I will give English fans this. They are great at making songs out of anything. Like they they sang songs for every fighter. They everybody in the crowd knew them, and I was like, I don't know how they do this. Like I I just it's different than what American fans are used to. Like we've got the fight songs in college, and that's it. They've got these professional soccer teams all have songs. They'll make up songs about the players. They're making songs up about their fighters now in the UFC. Everybody knows the words. I I don't know how they do it, but they're so good at it. Um, plus this guy is a great trash talker, this British guy. Um, and so I was like, all right, I am a fan of this guy. And then the, the perfect way to end it, the cherry on top after he wins, he's exiting because he's from Liverpool. They play, you never walk alone on his way out. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love it. (laughs) They had you. So Patty Pimblett fan, please don't do anything that's going to make me regret that um off out of the ring or out of the octagon please don't get involved in anything um no no dumpster throw no trash can throwing in a parking garage yeah please just nothing that's going to make me go uh um but yeah it was fun it was fun to watch that also the english premier league starts i think in two weeks so get ready for another long off season is it no it is not uh, and I saw Liverpool play the other day. Is that a preseason game or is that some other tournament? Or... Yeah, it's preseason. Okay. Um, okay. I saw because I have them uh, alert me on my phone when they're playing. And yeah, preseason. Uh, they're going to be doing regular season, like I said, in two weeks. And then, of course, they're going to have the break this year, which is going to be unusual for the World Cup. As the World Cup. So are they starting earlier or is this normal? It's is pretty August normal. normal. August okay. is pretty normal. Um, I think they're starting earlier in August because of it. Um, but they're going to have a fall break and which they don't normally do. And then the world cup. So the players don't get a break. It's just the clubs have to take the break. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, excited for the world cup when that comes around. But speaking of holding (laughs) golfers to higher standards than other institutions. Did you, uh, watch the end of old man that season? I did. I did. Nice too. I I liked the season. I was really hyped about it early. Um, it it did 
slow down a touch from the beginning, but I still think it's really good. Um, so I'm really excited about it. I still recommend watching it. I, I haven't come off that at all. I just, it's so it's driving you those first couple episodes. And I felt like these last couple are kind of setting you into more storytelling than it is moving you forward, uh, in the story. Um, but for them to set up a second season, I think it's probably necessary. So, uh, I was starting to wonder just how the episode before and then the first part of the last episode of the season, I was like, how are they going to get season two out of this? I mean, I'm, I'm interested, but how are they going to get season two out of this? And then the way it ends, you're like, "Mm, got it. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was great. I, I loved the first season of this. I hope the second season can, you know, kind of live up to it and maybe even maybe even surpass it a little bit. You're not wrong on it slows down from the first two episodes, but you kind of learn a lot of background, like you said, right. and it's you're learning a lot about the characters, and it's definitely setting up season two and what's going to be important yeah. there. And um, Now, my hope is, like, they know they have, like, a two or three season plan. Like, Here's our plan yes. for this many, like 21 episodes, three seasons, or something like that. Like some version of what I just said, and just do that. If you have these big stars in it, like mm-hmm. you can only keep them tied up for so long. So just approach it from that angle, and I think that'll be good. Uh, I kind of have faith that they'll do that. A lot of these epic shows don't go on for 20 seasons, don't go on for way too long. So I'm, I'm optimistic, especially with the the star power that's involved in this, that it, they have a, a overall plan, and we're going to get it, you know, the way it should be. So I'm I'm happy with that. My kids were excited, and I think we fully trained them to be binge watchers. Uh, Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous is like a cartoon series on Netflix, and uh, it's not good, but yeah. they get excited about it. And it's okay. it's Jurassic Park, Jurassic World aimed at TVG. Um, mm. So it was it was fun. It came. It was on Friday it came out and we watched the whole season over the weekend, like in three sittings, um, which is like eight episodes. So they, they loved it and uh, we're excited and halfway through the season, cause all these seasons, like they, they cliffhang at the end of the season. We're like going up to it. You think, Oh, you know, this is going to be it. The biggest problem that they have is going to be solved. And then, you know, there's always a cliffhanger. So there's more. And this season, that was it. And so uh, five seasons total, and wow. uh, you don't know that it's gonna, it, you know, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't get there until it gets there, right at, right at the very end. Uh, so it was fun, and uh, I only realized this was it, it, uh, as we were watching this, you know, halfway through, or you know, one of the times I like looked something up and saw the headline of it and realized this was it. So I didn't spoil that to them, and and they enjoyed it and they liked it, and it was fun to watch together. I enjoy these shows that we're able to watch together. I think I've talked about all the Star Wars shows and. Uh, even some Disney ones and stuff. Um, when they're the kids get excited about, it. I, I like watching with them. And this is one of those. I don't recommend this for adults um, because it's not good, and it doesn't. It's funny they do tie in little pieces to the movies, and even the movie. Um, they even like for the newest movie that's come out that we've seen, they tied in a detail that it happened during this time. Uh, so that was cool. Um, and I think I think even there was like another thing that's happened in one of the previous seasons that was like right around the last movie and maybe explained it after the fact. Um, so that was fun. So uh, I like that, but also it's probably best for this little run to go over because I think you can only run from the same dinosaur so many times before it, it's it's eventually going to catch you and eat you. So 
my kids my kids did understand that they're not going to kill kids on this show. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I mean, fun. if it's aimed at kids, it's probably different. Yeah, probably different messages. Hey, some adult, I mean, adults die. And hey, you know what? Good for them. It's always the bad people. But honestly, that's how the movies go now, too. The movies don't kill off any good people. So, yeah, but that's a problem. Like, sometimes the good guys have to. Some of the good guys need to eat it, too. Hey, Jurassic Park, the original. Yeah. The Raptor guy passed away. Samuel L. Jackson passed away. Um, the lawyer really wasn't a great guy, but, you know, he wasn't Dead. evil, evil. Um, he went. So, yeah, like in the first one, it was on the table. Like you could be good and die. Um, since then, there's been a heck of a lot less of that. It's one of my so. favorite things about Game of Thrones. You just never knew week to week what was going to happen. Unless, of course, you read the books and then in which case you knew what was going to happen. But for most of us, we hadn't. So that's what made it a good story. Um it's my biggest problem with Stranger Things right now. None of those <laughs> kids are ever going to die. None of those kids are ever going to die. <laughs> They're not going to kill them. They had a great opportunity to this season. Can't do that. I guess on, I mean, Game of Thrones, they killed kids, right? So. Oh, yeah. I can't. Give me another show that killed kids. There's got to be others. There's not many. That's not many, hard, but that's a hard, it's a hard thing hard to do. But as a producer of a show, <laughs> Hobo with a shotgun does, but that's not a good movie. That's, I mean, Family Matters. They just never talked about one of the daughters again. They didn't kill her. <laughs> they just she went away. She but like, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't think of of shows or or movies that like let's kill some kids. I, Star Wars Episode Three. They kill a bunch of kids there. So. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Anakin kills a bunch of kids. Um, Spoiler alert. <laughs> but now, like in these movies, they don't kill anyone. It's just like, well, no. Even in the shows. Well, we can't kill that person. I mean, what I if we want to What if we last, use them again? Oh, I'm like, well, who cares? In, in the most recent trilogy of Star Wars, there was some people that died. Palpatine? Again? No. No. Others? We're bringing people back to life in Star Wars, which is a problem. Yeah, the one that they brought back to life was was tough, but they're bringing. No one is ever dead. That's what I'm learning on Star Wars. No one is ever dead. They're always just going to be brought back to life. I just, I guess we're past spoiler alert time. But Han Solo's dead. No, not really. They're going to bring him back in another thing. Trust me. I mean, they'll show, they'll do like Solo the series or whatever. No, no, he'll be back when they do this other trilogy. He's not a Jedi. He's not. It doesn't matter, Leland. It doesn't matter. You think any of that matters? (laughs) Disney is going to wait until Harrison Ford really is hurting for some scratch, and they're going to be like, (laughs) "Guess what? We've got the perfect way. You didn't actually die. You just fell into the planet of you know." thousands of stories and went splat on the ground that doesn't mean you're dead please it didn't kill palpatine when he fell into the core of a death star didn't kill darth maul when he got chopped in half and fell into the core of a planet everybody else you've talked about has the force so if you're telling me all those ewoks aren't dead then i'm um, none of those ewoks are dead please they're all (laughs) kicking it up in their trees all those little teddy bears are good to go i'm happy then I just, that's my biggest problem with Star Wars. I mean, people, like, Han, you think you're dead from being stabbed in the stomach with a lightsaber? I mean, come on. How many people in Obi-Wan got stabbed in the stomach and none of them died? 
I, where I started with the Star Wars thing is that they killed a bunch of kids. But like, as these little stories come out, we find out that they were actually like, there were survivors, and actually, yeah, half of them end up becoming evil, and oh, we corrupt them. I'm like, God, can we just kill some people in a movie? <laughs> I'm waiting for Air Force One. Or Air Force Two is like what I'm waiting for for Harrison Ford. Like that's when I'll know he's completely jump shark is when he's like, well, if he's on Air Force Two, he's as... been demoted to vice president. So. Well, you know, but like Air Force One, Two, or something, and he's like a former <laughs> president flying back for a funeral, and then they send Air Force One for him, and he's got to do it all again. That's what I'm waiting for. That's a good movie, though. I like that movie. No, little note, Tyus, back to the beginning of the episode. Uh, Air Force One was watched uh, by Ron. That was the last movie uh, he was watching. So uh, well, there you that go. brought us full circle on tonight's episode. So I'll always look at that movie different now. Um, really appreciate uh, y'all as listeners giving me time to talk about Ron tonight. Uh, as it was important for me to do that. And as Joe knew, we've lost some legends in the area. Um, and this was probably the first one that I've had this close a connection with. So I appreciate having the time to talk about on the podcast tonight. Um but, uh, you know, how important these coaches in our area are to the to young people in our area, I think, just gets absolutely driven home, uh, you know, this week, you know, seeing all the people's comments and seeing people involved in the funeral um, and at the at the family night and stuff, just the impact that they that they have. And knowing, you know, we put Ron on a pedestal for being great and doing it for a long time. But, you know, all these coaches and all these different sports have that kind of impact on kids all the time. As, as Ron would tell you, as Ron would tell you, as giving credit to his his coworkers coaching on other fields. And uh, so I want to any coaches that are listening, I want to thank them for what they do, as uh, Ron was an example of the best of you and uh, and did a great example of the of the work life balance. So got to got to commend him for that. So thanks, everybody, for listening this week as uh, as I was able to do that for the for Ron and his family and, and for myself and uh, get those words out. Want to make sure you guys are subscribed and and, um, following us at Yak Sports Pod is the great way to follow us on social media and um, on any uh, device that carries podcasts or any program that carries podcasts, you should be able to find us, including Podbean, Apple, Google, and Spotify. And we'll be back next week to talk more about the sports that you, the Augusta County sports fan, care about, as it is August and there'll be football this month to talk about in this area. And volleyball will get going and golf will get going. So we have plenty coming up on the Yaksports Podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast.